Jeremiah, uh, book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. If you have a Bible, let's go there. It's a heavy message. We're just going our, our, through the book of Jeremiah, and today's study is a study about um, God just molding us on the on the on the table. You know that 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 wheel, that potter's wheel. We're the clay, and He's the potter. And so the first chapter is all about that, how God is molding us, and we need to yield to that. And then the second chapter is about God actually taking like a, a vessel like this, a clay vessel, and just throwing it down and breaking it. So there's kind of like some visuals in, in the study. And so look at Jeremiah chapter 18, and we're going to read from the New Living Translation tonight. And notice what it says in verse 1. It says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his will. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. You know, he's making this thing and it gets marred or it gets spoiled. Uh, one translation says something went wrong as he's trying to shape it, right? And so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Now, have you guys ever seen the, the whole, you know, potter's wheel thing and the clays? And have you guys ever seen that, that lump of clay? If you haven't, I encourage you, you know, go on YouTube, check it out. It's pretty cool. You know, I saw this one uh, older gentleman, big old uh, wheel, putting that lump of clay on there. And it's just so amazing. Once you finally get that thing spinning and you get it wet and stuff and you're putting your hands in there, it's amazing how you can mold it and shape it. But if necessary, you can, yeah, yeah, you can crush it like that. And so start over again. And so Jeremiah goes down, God tells him to go down there and uh, not to shop, but to make a purchase uh, in a different way. He says, I want you to go and just watch what happens. I'm going to speak to you there at the potter's uh, place. And so they would go there all the time. You know, you need a cup, you need a bowl, you need a vase, you need a vessel, whatever it is, they would be there all the time. So this time God says, okay, no, I just want you to see the way this is done. So Jeremiah heads out, and sure enough, God speaks to him with this visual. And as Jeremiah watched this whole thing happen, somehow the clay resisted the potter's hand. Maybe there was a bump in the batter, you know, or a clog in the clay or something, but it, it threatened to ruin the entire vessel. And so Jeremiah was watching, and he noticed that the potter patiently tried again, and he successfully was able to make the clay into a different vessel, okay? So in verse 5, it says, Then the, the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. Now, I think that's pretty cool just to think about that for a second. Um, I don't know if that's comforting for you to know that in all reality, we're in God's hands and he's molding us and shaping us. It's fascinating to read right here how, you know, this whole thing is happening. But, but look again at verse six, if you would. Oh, Israel, can I, can I, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? You know, the, the clay was messed up. The clay was marred. The, the clay was spoiled. Something went wrong. But then God was then allowed to redo it. And it's almost like the Lord is asking them, can I get your permission to do this? I trip out on that. It sounds kind of funny. Can I? Can I, can I give you, can I start over in your life again? Will you allow me to make you into what I want you to be? 
I mean, it's a trippy thing to me because I know God is God and who are we that we need to give him permission to do something like this. But this is exactly what we find out in life. It's fascinating to read how God seems to be asking the Jews for permission that they would just let him make them and mold them as he would see fit. Because what was happening was they were resisting the work that God wanted to do. And so you look at the, 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 the whole process of how God is molding us and shaping us, right? And you wonder, well, how does he do it, right? You know, and we think of things like nature and nurture being knit together in our mother's womb. We think of the big things that happen in life, the little things. It's all part of the process, right? And how God's hands, sometimes they push in places we'd rather they didn't. But the providential pain, pressure, and people and problems that come into our life are all part of God's way of working in us to mold us and shape us into the man that I want you to be, the woman, the godly woman that you need to be. See, God is working. You know, Warren Wiersbe said this, God uses many different hands to mold our lives, our parents, our siblings, teachers, ministers, authors, and and we can fight against them. But if you do, you're fighting against God. And if you fight against God, uh, who, who, do, who do you think is going to win? I mean, hopefully God wins, but if you win, you're in big trouble. He's the potter, you guys. We're the clay. And I hope that comforts you to know that you're in his hands and he's molding you and shaping you into something beautiful. I hope you know that, man. I pray that comforts your heart because, yeah, sometimes it hurts. But understand, God's got this plan that's just, man, it'll blow your mind I mean, to me, when I think about it, I'm just so grateful that I'm in his, in his hands. You know, I, I don't know where you guys are at tonight. You know, a lot of you guys here, you're doing good. You're abiding in the Lord. You're right on. None of us are perfect, but you're proper. You know your heart is right. You've been praying. You've been reading that word. You've been going to church service. You've been serving God. You have gifts and talents that you are investing into the kingdom of God. You're right where you belong. Some of you are there, but some of you aren't. Some of you are, and that's maybe why God brought you here today, because he loves you, and he wants to put you in this place where you belong. You know, maybe up to this point in your life, you've resisted God. And so right here, he has a word for you. He's willing to give you a second chance. Is anyone interested in that? Does anyone want a new beginning? Maybe you're here today, and you've yielded. That's good, But at the same time, that's for all of us here. Don't be overconfident. We need to keep yielding. And we're going to see that in our study today. And this study, by the way, it applies globally. It applies nationally. And it applies personally. Because in one sense, we don't know what's going on, you guys. But I tell you what, when we got little kids being gunned down in schools, what does that tell you? That tells you things are getting crazy. That tells you that we're living in a nation that has turned their backs on God. And God has said, okay, okay, I'm going to remove my protection. You're going to see what life is like without me. This is what's happening. You know, we're living in one sense. One guy said, we are on the, 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 the I guess you could say the, the, the stage as we're overseeing or witnessing the death of a nation. Maybe. Again, no man knows the day or the hour, 
but it might even be the end of the world. Again, no one knows the day or the hour. I'm not weird like that. I'm not going to be a date set or anything like that. But, you know, we see so much going on. I mean, you can go to, I think you can go to Panera now and you can just scan your hand right there and you can pay for your stuff. I mean, it's crazy. Revelation 13 talks about that, that in the last of the last days, you'll be able to buy and sell right there just with your hand. And so, again, these are interesting days that we're living in. And so um, as we look at this, it, it applies globally, nationally, and personally. So we read in verse 7. Notice what God says next through Jeremiah. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation's renounced its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. And so God is just telling, you know, one of the cool things about reading the Bible, you guys, is we get to find out who we are. We're clay in his hands. We get to find out who he is. He's the, the potter, and he's got these amazing things going on in our life. But also, we get to kind of find out the principles of how blessings work and how cursings work and, you know, just the way that, you know, God is and his nature. And so he says, if I'm warning you and I'm telling you, hey, judgment is on its way, you continue to live like that, judgment is on its way. It's coming. It's on its way. But then you turn from your evil ways. Then God says, and I, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive. I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll change the plans. No more judgment for you. That's what God says. You might be here tonight and you sinned, you know, a thousand times and you did a thousand times today. And God says, okay, let's start over. Let's do this right. If you turn, God says, I'll turn. But, you know, that's one part of it. But the flip side of it is you might be here tonight because we got to know the nature and character of God. And, you know, you, you know, got saved, you got baptized, you're serving in the ministry. But then, you know, next week you go on and you just fall off the cliff. You no longer, I mean, you used to get an A in your Christianity. Now you're wall. God says, if that happens, then you need to know that then you're going to suffer the consequences of that sin, the discipline that will follow. This is God. You know, when we look at this, I, I was thinking about David, you know, how God had so much more for him. Is it possible for someone to go to church you know, be involved in ministry, and then walk away from the Lord. You know, I was thinking about this gal, Audrey Assad. Some of you guys know who she is. Some of you guys don't. You can Google her. Not right now. Not right now. But um, I was tripping out because she wrote such beautiful music for the Lord. Beautiful music. She says this one song that's called Restless, and how my heart is, is, is restless until it rests in you. But uh, a while back, she, 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 she just turned away from God. And there's a tweet she has, and she put on there, I, I felt in my spirit today it was time to tell you that I'm not a practicing Christian anymore. And it just breaks your heart. I didn't even know that. This was a while ago. And so what God is saying right here, listen, if, if you're doing bad, you hear the warning that judgment is coming and then you get your life right with God, you surrender to his love, then I won't judge you like I was planning to. But if you're here and you're doing good and then you turn the other way, understand, I will deal with you. And this is what God is saying. And this is what was going on here in Judah. It's not complex or complicated. Judah at this time, this is the southern kingdom of Judah, 
was being warned by Jeremiah that judgment was on its way. We read here in verse 11, Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. But the people continued. They said, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to stubbornly following our own desires or the evil dictates of our heart. If you have the New King James, they they said, this is hopeless. And so we will walk according to our own plans, according to our own evil dictates of our heart. And I thought that was interesting because the King James Version is more word for word. And and really what was going on is they were just saying, you know what, it's hopeless They were not only heartless in their sin, they felt hopeless in their sin. They didn't believe that there was any way God could restore their lives. You know, some of you guys right here, you might be coming to church every week and in all reality, you're backslidden. You're backslidden because you're not on fire for God. You used to be on fire for God, but now you're half-hearted. You know what? That's not God, Jesus Christ, who was nailed to a cross for us. He does not deserve that. He doesn't. And so God right here is just saying, hey, you know, there's there's hope for you. You know, God is not only the God of the second chance, he's the God of the third chance, the fourth chance, the fat chance. I mean, you name it. Um, No matter where you're at tonight, God can touch you by the power of the Holy Spirit. God can give you a new beginning. God could ignite something that maybe you've never even had before. I'm telling you, living a life of absolute surrender for God is the only way. You know, when you do things, are you a half-hearted person or are you all in? Well, this is what we're, what we're doing for the Lord. Don't sit back there and think, well, it's too hopeless for me. And, you know, you're preaching that and it's not going to work for me. You know, I'm just going to, you know, casually mosey along my life as a Christian. I'm okay like this on the outskirts of this whole thing. And, it's, you know, you just got to understand what I've gone through and all the pain that I've experienced and, you know, the, just the sin that I'm entrenched in, the family that I have or whatever it is. There's so many excuses that we can come up with. And God is, don't, don't, don't say it, you're hopeless. Don't say that. You might be a pastor. You might be a missionary. You might be the president of the United States one day. I don't know what the plans are that God has for you, for you, but man, when you follow the Lord, you get everything that he has. You know, God right here says, no failure in our lives need be fatal or final. Although we, we certainly suffer for our sins, God gave a new beginning to Abraham, Moses, David, Jonah, and Peter. And when they failed, God forgave. He can do the same for us. The worst thing in the world is to be here tonight and to pretend you're right with God when you know you're not. You know, I've learned this in my life. And even as a pastor, just because I, I, I get to teach or I get to be involved in ministry or I'm on staff, that means nothing. God looks at my heart. He looks at the condition of my heart. How's my prayer life? Is it intimate? Is it sweet? Is it passionate? When I read my Bible, is God really speaking to me? Or am I just going through the motions? Do I have a heart to surrender every area of my life in complete obedience to him? 
Am I sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Do I love everyone? Because if there's someone that I don't love and I'm okay with it, then I'm in sin. You know, the Bible says, don't say you love God and you hate your brother. And so all I'm saying is as we go through this and God can forgive and God can restore and God, he wants to do a new work. He really does. He'll meet us here today. Whatever you do, don't think it's hopeless. Don't think, well, I've always, I've gone to many midweek services before. And I'm here tonight because the homeschool thing, we know, was going on. That's really the the real reason I'm here. And I'm just planning on coming and leaving the same. But, But we should never do that when we come to church service. Never. It should always be, Lord, touch my heart. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, give me power. God, change me. God, speak to me. It's not hopeless, you guys. It's not. I mean, God is here. He's willing to meet us wherever we are. Even if we failed, and many of us have, I'm be the first to admit, there are areas of my life as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a friend, as a, as a brother, as a pastor, you name it. Every single one, I'm like, okay, I got to work on that. Lord, help me there. This is how we come to the Lord with all our failures. And understand, though, it's not hopeless. God can make me into a godly man. That's what he wants to do. You know, God was offering this to the Jews. He was offering it to them, just like he's offering it to you tonight. But they chose not to accept. Look what it says in chapter 18, verse 13. So this is what the Lord says. Has anyone ever heard of such a thing, even among the pagan nations? My virgin daughter, Israel, has done something terrible. Does the snow ever disappear from the mountains of Lebanon? Do the cold streams flowing from those distant mountains ever run dry? But my people are not so reliable, for they have deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and and walk in muddy paths. Therefore, their land will become desolate a monument to their stupidity. We didn't use, we were not allowed to use that word in my house, but here it's in the Bible. Forgive me for saying that, but it's there, okay? They, 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 their land will become desolate, a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and, and will shake their heads in amazement. I will scatter my people before their enemies as the east wind scatters dust. And in all their trouble, I will turn my back on them and refuse to notice their distress. It's, it's heavy. What God says right here is anyone, have you guys ever heard of this before? Have you ever heard of anyone forsaking God? The way that they did, I mean, it's just crazy. It makes no sense to him. You know, when you read this, it's interesting how he identifies Judah as my virgin daughter there in verse 13. My people, he says in verse 15. My people, again, he says in verse 17. They're his. They're his people. Yet they are disobedient and defiant in their disobedience. And so what do you do when your kids are disobedient? Come on, parents, what do you do? You give them a little trancaso right there, right? <laughs> right, we're, we, you know, we don't leave any marks or anything, but, you know, there's a little bit of padding right there. And, uh, you know, we do it in love. But we love them, so we discipline them 
God loves us, and therefore he will discipline us. You know, it's interesting how they they left uh, the Lord. And um, right here in verse 14, I like the way New King James puts it. It says, will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? And so when you go to Israel, you get to see Mount Hermon. You get to see the snow caps. You get to see, as a matter of fact, if you go to Caesarea Philippi, the Banyas and, and the water there, you get to see the Jordan River. All that beautiful water, it comes from Mount Hermon, believe it or not. And some of it, it even flows underneath the ground and it springs up and it springs. It's this amazing, beautiful, clean, wonderful water. So who would give that up for sewer water? That's basically what he's saying right here. Who would give up this fountain of living water for really no water. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, he says that over and over and over again. For example, in Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. I mean, you got a cistern there. It catches the water. At least they got the cistern. But these people chose broken cisterns. They can't even hold any water rather than having the fountains of living water. And that's everyone who chooses the world over the Lord, choosing them their own plan over God's plan. You know, God has so much more for us. I think we don't realize that. You know, life with no water is not just dry. If you don't got no water, you die. And this is what was happening to this nation. Why, Lord, why is this happening? Because they had forsaken him. 22 times in the book of Jeremiah, that word forsaken is there. Predominantly speaking of the way that the people had forsaken the Lord. You know, and I, and I don't want to be like overbearing you guys here. There may be some of you here who have, if I, if I could just show you maybe even some grace, the same grace that God has shown me, maybe you've kind of accidentally forsaken the Lord. You don't even realize it. But you're just getting caught up in, in, in life. And I understand so many roles and responsibilities that we have. And, and next thing you know, you, know you, you don't read your, your Bible as much. You don't read it the, the way you used to. Or, you know, you're, you're trying to pray, but you've got so much to do and and yeah, you do your best to hit church and kind of like, okay, this is what God wants for me. And, you know, just for whatever reason, it's just easy to backslide. And I'm not here to condemn you and beat you up and tell you, oh, what a bad person you are. That's not how God is with us. He's not like, he doesn't want to do that. He's just saying, come on, let's do this. Let's get back to heartfelt prayer. Let's get back to getting into the word, man, would God speak to me? Let's get back to going to church service with, with the, and the desire to be there. You know, sometimes people don't even want to come. Then you got to get, you got to drag them here. You know, they're drug babies. They get dragged to church, you know, and that's what ends up happening. And unfortunately, God is just saying, no, we, you guys, we have to have this hunger for the Lord. Don't turn away from the Lord, whether it be volitionally or accidentally and neg- negligently. Don't, don't turn away from him. They had turned to other gods. Look again there in verse 15. It says, but my people are, are not so reliable for they have deserted me. It says right here, they burn incense to worthless 
idols. Now, in the Bible, burning incense, it speaks of praying to other gods. You read in Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayer be set before you as incense. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, now when I had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So in the Bible, incense is symbolic of prayers. And so he's saying, my people have offered incense to idols. You know what that is? That's praying to anyone other than God. Anyone other than God. The Catholic Church has 10,000 saints that they've recognized, that you can go and pray to those saints. You know, and then there's Mary. You know, if you pray the rosary, you prayed 50 Hail Marys. Think about that. And that's, that's, that's the nation that we live in. And people are cool with it. You're like, okay, you know, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Are they? Right here, he's talking about burning incense to other gods. Verse 15 says, they have stumbled off the ancient highways and they walk in muddy paths. Have you guys ever gotten lost? I'm just curious. Now, none of the guys here would ever admit that, huh? You're like, yeah, it's all part of the plan. Yeah, I like the scenic route. <laughs> this is what can happen to us. We're on this narrow road, you guys. And the only reason that God is saying it to us and the only reason that I'm saying it to you is because we love you. And we pray that you stay on this narrow road that leads to heaven. It's narrow and it's difficult and it's hard sometimes. And that road over there might look really nice and comfortable and cozy. But man, that road, you'll get lost if you go down that path. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. See, if you're on that road, praise God, you found it. Now stay on it. That's what he's saying right here. Unfortunately, the people, they went off the road and now he's going to have to severely chasten them. That's what we see there in verse 16. Notice again what it says, therefore their land will become desolate, a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and shake their heads in amazement. They, they would then, um, the world would see and be shell-shocked when they saw what happened to Judah because God would scatter them, it says in the next verse, he would scatter them to Babylon. And, and so, you know, as Jeremiah is sharing this message, for 40 years, maybe even 50 years, the people don't like it. They're like, man, we don't like that guy. We don't like the way that he's telling us that we got to get our life right. We don't like the way that he's telling us that there's judgment to come, not only in this world, but in the one after. I don't like that guy. That's what ends up happening. Verse 18, then the people said, come on, let's plot a way to stop Jeremiah. We have plenty of priests and wise men and prophets we don't need him to teach the word and give us advice and prophecies. Let's spread rumors about him and ignore what he says. Now, now the, the New Living Translation has a certain interpretation of this passage. Most other translations see it differently. Basically, Jeremiah has been prophesying of the judgment of the temple and all the temple life entailed. 
And so you read New King James, most of the other translations, they say basically Jeremiah was saying, you're not going to have any more priests. You're not going to have any more prophets. You're not going to have the word of God spoken to you, the counsel of God given to you. That's really what he was saying. That's what would happen when judgment would come. They, they hated the, not only the message, they hated the messenger. And it says right here, they determined to spread slander against him. You know, um, all the super bad publicity. And you see that happen sometimes, you know. It could be uh, the way that the world um, will say things, the liberal media trying to take someone down who is making a difference. Someone maybe like a Tim Tebow or someone that's a godly, you know, individual. And just spending the, the lies, the slander, this is how we're going to take him down, right? And so we're going to see in the next chapter, um, next week, Lord willing, that um, Jeremiah ends up getting arrested, he gets beaten. Eventually, we're going to see in chapter 38, they put him in a, in, a, in a miry pit, and he's just sinking in the mud. You know, And it's not easy for pastors or people or even Christians who are bold, who are bold, who are willing to say the truth. There is a heaven, there is a hell. Being gay is a sin, whatever it is. I mean, we're not counting. There are other things that are sins as well, but isn't it crazy how the enemy is just pushing that? And so we're not going to say anything? You don't say anything when they're saying everything about that. So do they hate us? Yeah, we're haters because we love them and we want to tell them the truth. Right here we see Jeremiah, when this is, they want to kill him, in verse 19, is so he prays, Lord, hear me and help me. Listen to what my enemies are saying. Should they repay evil for good? They have dug a pit to kill me, though I pleaded for them and tried to protect them from your anger. These are the same people I prayed for. I prayed for them. And now they're talking smack about me. Now they, they hate me. Now they slander me. Now they gossip about me. Now they're backbiting me. Now they're coming against me. Jeremiah says, it doesn't make any sense. And so look at verse 21. It's interesting what Jeremiah prays. It says, so let the children starve. That's interesting. Let them die by the sword. Let their wives become childless widows. Let their old men die in a plague. And let their young men be killed in battle. Let screaming be heard from their homes as warriors come suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit for me and have hidden traps along my path. Lord, you know all about their murderous plots against me. Don't forgive their crimes. Blot out their sins. Let them die before you. Deal with them in your anger. I don't know how you guys feel when you hear that prayer. You're like, man, that's a weird prayer. You know, um, so some call that an imprecatory prayer, and you'll see that in the Psalms frequently. As a matter of fact, there are 20 imprecatory Psalms where, you know, they're praying, God, these people want to do this, you know, whatever, break their teeth, oh, Lord, then kill them, get them, you know. I don't, do you guys ever pray like that? You probably don't, right? You probably shouldn't. Uh, Psalm 69, 24 is one of those that says, pour out your indignation on them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. And so some will say what Jeremiah was praying right here is just that, it's an imprecatory prayer. He didn't have the New Testament light that we have now. We now know better. 
We probably shouldn't pray like that. Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Think about that. And so, you know, there's some that will just purely see it that way. But, but I will also say this, because there are others who don't see it purely that way. Some say that in one sense, Jeremiah's prayer is, is, is justified because basically um, what we see a couple of things is this. Unrighteous anger takes matters into its own hands and seeks to destroy the offender. You did me wrong? I'm going to kill you. That's unrighteous anger. I'm going to hire someone to do it, right? But, but righteous anger turns the matter over to God. Now he's just praying. Turns the matter over to God and prays for the welfare of the one, the one who is wronged. Now in this case, who is the one that was wronged? The one who is wronged is God. Is God. And Jeremiah is consumed with the glory of God. Jeremiah also knew this is really what God was planning to do. God had told him, this is what I'm going to do. If God told you, I'm going to judge the world by fire, which he has, then we know that that's justifiable. And so in one sense, some will say that Jeremiah's prayer right here is just trusting God's plans and just praying for him to go ahead and follow through with those plans. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you ever pray for Jesus to come back? You ever pray, Lord, come back, please? You ever pray that, Maranatha? Well, every time you pray that, you're praying this. Did you realize that? You're praying for Jesus to come back, yeah, because you want to go to heaven and all that, but do you realize that when he comes back, the judgment that this world will experience? Well, in one sense, that's what Jeremiah is praying. And so when you look at this, it's pretty heavy, you know, we have the, the visual of the clay on the wheel being formed. And hopefully you guys were here tonight. Hopefully you're with me. Lord, I want a new beginning. Lord, I, 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 I'm not hopeless. You can make me a man of God. You can make me like Elijah. You can make me like your son. Hopefully that's us tonight. We're not hopeless. So we see, first of all, that visual of the clay on the wheel but then second visual, chapter 19, is the clay that gets broken. Look at verse 1 of chapter 19. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a clay jar, then ask some of the leaders of the people and of the priests to follow you. Go out through the gate of broken pots, that's the potsherd gate, to the garbage dump in the valley of Ben-Himmon, and give them this message. Say to them, Listen to this message from the Lord, you kings of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, I will bring a terrible disaster on this place and the ears of those who hear about it will ring. And so second thing God tells Jeremiah, go down to Walmart, you know, get that uh, jar of clay and I want you to invite the kings and invite the citizens to come. I want you to go in front of the potsherd gate. Now, the potsherd gate would be where all the, the guys selling their, their clay pots would be and even breaking them there. I want you to go down there, and that would be right in front of the, the Valley of Hinnom there, um, Tophet, 
where they burned their trash. I want you to go there and I want you to, to tell them this message about, about judgment, about judgment to come, right? And so Jeremiah, he gets up there and in that stage with this you know, clay uh, jar of clay, um, he gets up there and he speaks not only to the common people, but to the kings. And he says to them, judgment is coming. And so then when they ask why, he would say in verse 4, here it is. This is heavy, you guys. Notice this. For Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness. The people burn incense to foreign gods, idols never before acknowledged by this generation, by their ancestors or by the kings of Judah. And they have filled this place, here it is, with the blood of innocent children. They have built pagan shrines to Baal, and there they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. So beware, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when this garbage dump will no longer be called Topheth or, or the Valley of Ben-Himmon, but the Valley of Slaughter. For I will upset the careful plans of Judah and Jerusalem. I will allow the people to be slaughtered by invading armies. And I will leave their dead bodies as food for the vultures and wild animals. I will reduce Jerusalem to ruins, making it a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and will gasp at the destruction they see there. I will see to it that your enemies lay siege to the city until all the food is gone. Then those trapped inside will eat their own sons and daughters and friends. They will be driven away to utter despair. Wow. And this happened, you guys. Remember we talked about this? Uh, 605 BC, the Babylonians came. They took away their first deportation. Um, Daniel was part of that. But the children of Israel still didn't learn their lesson. So the Babylonians came again in 597 BC. Second deportation, that's when Ezekiel goes. And the children of Israel still didn't learn their lesson. And so 586 BC, the Babylonians came and they surrounded the city. They starved the city to where, like we read right here, they were eating their children. They were eating their friends. God says, people say, why? I don't get it. Why? Well, look what they did. They had filled Jerusalem with the blood of these innocent children. That's why. And all hearts ache from these three kids that died. I think two of them were nine. One wasn't even nine years old yet. That's three. Every single day in the United States of America, over 1,700 children are aborted in our nation alone. Still being offered up to what? The sacrifice of what? What is it? The altar of convenience? You know, if you're here and that's something that is a part of your past, that's not to condemn you. God will forgive. And the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all those sins. But if we're here in church and we are okay with abortion, then understand the blood is on our hands. So maybe you never had an abortion, but you're one to say, well, it's okay. Come on. You know, it's a freedom of choice. You know, it's their bodies. Let them do whatever they want to do with their bodies. Well, what about the little, the little child's body? 
You know, and when they get those body parts, what do they do with those body parts? You know, we think the blood and the bodies of these children can be erased. Oh, it'll disappear. Today, reports abound of aborted babies being found in discarded dumpsters, in landfills, even flushed down the toilets. There have been reports of fetal remains being incinerated among uh, the other medical waste to produce electricity. That's what they do with these bodies. So we think the blood gets erased, but it's only growing, you guys. That's what he says right here, that we've filled this land with their blood. That's what's going on here, you guys. Every day, over 1,700 abortions occur in our nation alone. I mean, when we look at this, I mean, it's just crazy. In the world, 125,000 abortions take place. That's why a lot of theologians, a lot of people believe that we are witnessing the death of our world. Because of this, you know, the shootings that are taking place. There's a lot of talk about what to do politically. And, you know, maybe there are some things that can change along those lines. But what if everyone bowed their knee spiritually to God so that, you know, he can actually come in and protect us like he used to because now we don't want him. You know, and he's left us, unfortunately, to ourselves. That is the beginning of judgment. And so for the Jews, eventually the day came when the Babylonians surrounded and then slaughtered them. When they surrounded them, there was no food left in Jerusalem. And I don't even like to read this right here, but you know the, it reached the point of cannibalism. Just like Deuteronomy 28.53 said, would happen. And then later in Lamentations chapter 4, verse 10, Jeremiah, he chronicles it. It says in Lamentations 4, verse 10, because you might be here and be thinking, I would never do something like that. Maybe you wouldn't, but I do know this. They said, tender-hearted women have cooked their own children. They have eaten them to survive the siege. So the Babylonians surrounded them, they breached the walls, and then they slaughtered the people, and their bodies were left for the birds and beasts to feed on. That's hard to read. It's hard to even think about. But do you guys realize what's going to happen to our world when Jesus comes? This is why we have to have an urgency. I've got to get my life right with God, 100%. No hidden sin. I mean, who can live a compromising life like that? I got to give him all my heart, all my thoughts, all my words. I have to surrender it to him. And then, Lord, help us to be usable vessels in your hands to help others. Jeremiah was to preach this message to the kings and common people there in front of the potsherd gate. And we read in verse 10 As these men watch you, Jeremiah, smash the jar you bought. And then say to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. As this jar lies shattered, so I will shatter the people of Judah and Jerusalem beyond all hope of repair. They will bury the bodies here in Topheth, the garbage dump, until there is no more room for them. This is what I will do to this place and his people, says the Lord. I will cause this city to become defiled like Topheth. Yes, all the houses in Jerusalem, including the palace of Judah's kings, will become like Topheth, all the houses where you burned incense on the rooftops to your star gods and where liquid offerings were poured out to your idols. You know, when I read this right here, I think of our nation, how much this is what's going on in the United States of America. 
We were beautiful. We were powerful. But now God says this nation will be broken. And so they had the visual there of their making the, the vessel at the wheel. But now the vessel is, uh, and I was thinking about doing it in front of you guys. Wouldn't it be cool like taking something and you know, throwing down a, I don't know, some glass thing or, or you know, a clay thing. But that, that was the visual. And um, when you think of this, uh, this jar of clay being broken, Isaiah 30 verse 14 it said something similar. You will be smashed like a piece of pottery shattered so completely that there won't be a piece big enough to carry coals from a fireplace or a little water from the well. This is not good. It's not good. And in those days, something interesting, when a king or a general would go out to battle, they would often do this. They would smash uh, jars of clay, representing what they were about to do in battle. And that would be kind of like, hey, we're going to smash our enemies. In one sense, this is what God is saying. You know, Jeremiah, go break, break the, the, the jar of clay because this is what I'm about to do. We don't have time to go there, but if you get a chance, you read Psalm chapter 2, and it, and it literally says that, that he will smash them to pieces like jars of clay. That's what happens when Jesus comes. So we read in chapter 19, verse 14, we close with this. Then Jeremiah returned from Topheth, the garbage dump, where he had delivered this message, and he stepped and stopped in front of the temple of the Lord, and he said to the people there, this is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel says, I will bring disaster upon this city and its surrounding towns, as I promise, because you have stubbornly refused to listen to me. Now, when I read this, you guys, I, I pray you know, I'm reading it to myself. I'm preaching it to myself. Do you believe that I can be stubborn? Please nod your head. Please say yes. I can be. Okay? But you want to know something? Don't be offended. You can too. You can too. We can be stubborn. And we don't even want to hear the word anymore. We want to hear it. That's what he says right here. They don't even want to hear it anymore, Jeremiah. They had stubbornly refused to listen to God. And so we see the sad fate of those whose hearts had been hardened beyond reform. And it's a million times worse because at one time they were the people of God, but now they refuse to listen to his voice. Let me just close with this. People of God. People of God. If you're out there and you've turned away from him and you're not where you belong, I pray tonight you'd return. If you're resisting his will on the potter's will, I pray you would yield to his love and trust him and tell him from the heart, because maybe you're here and you've been kicking against the goats and you don't like what God wants to do and you're fighting it. How about today we just say, I'm done, God, with my will. My kingdom go, Lord, thy kingdom come. Your will be done, not mine. That, that's a part of it. And if you're out here today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would receive 
this invitation from God who, even Michael said it earlier, he, he, God just wants a personal relationship with you and he provided a way that you and I can be saved and have that relationship because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Everything you've ever done, past, present, future, anything wrong, it was all laid on him. He paid the price. He suffered and he died for us because he loves you. They put him in a grave. We're just about to celebrate it Easter Sunday. Though he rose from the grave to conquer the coffin, defeat death, he gutted the grave. He will give you life today and forever. And all you have to do is believe. You can't earn it. You'll never be good enough. There has to be a moment in your life where you said, yes, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just in my brain. And it's not just half my heart. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, I pray that tonight you would do that. You know, that God would work that in your heart and God would do this amazing thing. Let me close with one illustration. I actually do have an illustration and it's with this pen right here, okay? So what if I grab this pen and I start, and I start writing with the pen? I do write on my hand sometimes. I'm writing your uh, names right here. I'm just joking. What if I, I grab this pen and it wasn't surrendered to me? I'm like trying to write and it's going like over here. I'm like, oh, dude, come on. It's going like this. I'm like, hey, well, come on. And what if it had its own will? There's a lot of people like that. What God was, if that was the kind of pin that God would just say, hey, shiny, I'm going to give me a new pin, right? That's kind of what we would have to do. Or either that somehow you'd have to fix it, right? Sometimes we have to have that understanding that this is really, I just got to be yielded to his will, surrendered in the master's hands because he's writing something so amazing. Just yield to him. So that's one thing about this pin. I have a pin that's surrendered to my hand. Hopefully that's you. But the second thing is the pin has my name on it has my name on it. And guess what that means? It's my pen. <laughs> not yours. And my prayer tonight is that you would be a pen surrendered in the, in the hand of God, surrendered, no will of your own, surrendered to Him, and that your, your life would have Jesus' name on you, that you belong to him.